Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Y'all doing all right? Y'all ready for Christmas? Doesn't really feel like Christmas for some reason. I don't know why, but just snuck up on us maybe. But it is cooling off and getting cold, so at least it won't be a 75 or 80 degree Christmas. Christmas has got to be cold, doesn't it? Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good, but I'm looking better. <laughs> Listen, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. And I want you to know that um, God's got a word for you. He's always got a word for you. It's just up to us to hear the word. Amen. And it doesn't matter how good the sermon is or how boring I am. He can still speak to you through a boring sermon. I know, because I've heard some boring sermons in my life, and the Lord spoke to me right through the boring sermon. I've also left this uh, stage, this platform, thinking that was a real train wreck, and that I didn't very, do a very good job of getting the message across, and people would text or email or call and say, that really hit, hit home or really helped me out. So I know the Lord can speak to you. Uh, he wants to speak to you, so I, I hope you came expecting to hear a word this morning Amen. and to, to leave changed, to leave better than you came in. That's the whole idea. Amen? Yeah. So, um, it's important, I say all that, because it's important to come expecting. Amen. It's important. The football team walks on the field, they need to be expecting to win. And you need to be expecting to hear the word. And if you weren't here last week, you need to go on Seven Miles Facebook or either look it up on YouTube and you need to find last week's sermon. Um, I think it was a good one. And we've been talking about David and we started two weeks ago and then we talked about it last week. And I know you're probably expecting a Christmas sermon this morning, but we're not. That, does everybody know what Christmas is, what Christmas Day, what that is? Okay, well, good. I mean, not that it's not important. It's very, very, very important. I think we all know what Christmas Day is about, and Mark just talked about it when he opened up. It's about the, the birth of our Savior. Amen? And uh, thankful for it. But we're, we're, we're going to continue on talking about David. And uh, we're going to start right here in the Psalm, uh, in Psalm 57. And this is David, and I, I shared this last week about the Psalms that he writes. It's important to know where he was at when he wrote it. Helps you to understand what he's going through, and it just makes it all come together. And uh, so he's in the cave. He's running from Saul. He is in a, in a bad situation when he write, is writing some of these Psalms. He's not sitting on the throne uh, eating grapes while somebody's fanning him. He's got some struggles while he's writing them. These psalms, same struggles, top struggles as, as you and I go through. Amen? So we can relate to him is what I'm saying. Psalms 57, the second verse. I cry out to God, most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. That's important. Get a hold of it. I cry out to God, most high. God, most high, sovereign God, sitting on his throne, uh, in control, the God of this entire universe, that's the one I cry out to. To a God who will fulfill His purpose for me. Now David didn't write that, like I said, while he's on top of the mountain, everything's good and the sun's shining on him. He's in a tight spot when he writes this. 
And it's, it's one thing to write a psalm like that, like I said, when life is good and life is rosy and you're floating down the river of ease. But I read these psalms and I look at how David is going through these struggles and it just means so much more to me. That he, he didn't forget the process and he didn't lose hope and he didn't give up on God, but he's, uh, well, that's why he's a man after God's own heart. Now, now that we've read that psalm, we're going to jump over to 1 Samuel and we're going to get into the text here. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats, the big mountains, rocky mountains, and this is where the wild goats live. Now he takes 3,000 men. David's got 400. 400. And he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, I want you to see right here, he's got thousands of men going out to look for David and only his 400. And I want you to see how when you're, when you're on your road to purpose, to f- the purpose that God's got for your life, the calling, when you're on that road, the enemy is going to attack you. And it appears the closer David gets to it, the more there's an attack. He's got thousands of men after one man that's only got 400 men with him. He's got thousands, and you just see the enemy attacking. And I want you to know the road wasn't easy for David, and nor will the road be easy for you either. To walk in the purpose and to walk in the calling that God's got for your life, the enemy is absolutely going to attack you. He's going to be on the road setting up detours and roadblocks and ambushes, anything he can do to keep you from fulfilling the purpose and the calling that God's got on your life. And you see the exact same thing here is happening to David. The road to royalty, the road to the throne, the road to being a king, or you could say the road to his purpose uh, was not an easy one. And it's not going to be an easy one for you either. Just because God's given you a promise, don't think He's given you a promise and now you're just going to step over into it and everything's easy. It's not. It's not going to be easy. Um, You look at David and he's anointed to be the king from a young age, a young boy, but he's living like a refugee. And he's called, but it, like we talked about last weekend, this situation is definitely uh, contradicting the calling, isn't it? And sometimes you have to ask yourself the question, or maybe you, like, is this really the right? Is this really my purpose? Is this really my calling? Why are these things happening to you? Well, why do the things happen to David? Because the enemy doesn't want you to fulfill the calling. You've got to get a hold of that. Um... It says that Saul went in to, let's see, where was it at? Oh, it's still on the screen. He came to the sheep pens along the way and Saul went in to relieve himself and David's men were far back in the cave. So Saul goes up in this cave to relieve himself and... Evidently, the secret service men didn't do a very good job because David and his men 
who could have easily killed him, they're in the cave back there. And Saul doesn't know it. And Saul's caught with his pants down. Literally. When it says he goes in to relieve himself, he goes in to relieve himself. And Saul, uh, David's men, they said, Dear Lord, what is this vomit been eating? Has anybody got one of them COVID-19 masks? Because I need one. Good heavens. Turn on the exhaust fan, strike a match, something. Woo! He went in to relieve himself. I want you to get the picture of how vulnerable Saul is. Okay? <laughs> yes. And his men, David's men said, this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. It says, afterward, David was conscience-stricken. Man, his heart was troubled for having cut off the corner of this robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Now, you have to see that David absolutely believed that God would fulfill his purpose in his life that he didn't have to take matters on into his own hands because he had an opportunity to take matters into his own hands. But I look at David as a man who's honoring the process. God says, I'm going to, here's the promise. God's going to fulfill the promise and all you've got to do is honor the process. He believed that God would fulfill his purpose. So my question, I got a question for you, for me, for all of us. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he'll fulfill the purpose in your life? And a lot of times we get caught up in somebody else's purpose, somebody else's calling. We're trying to be somebody we haven't been called to be, but he's not called you to be a good steward of their purpose or of their calling. He's called you to be a good steward of your purpose and of your calling. Amen? You can get on Facebook and you can look around and you can see another family uh, and how their, their children and how, you know, just from a picture. You just look at a picture. It says a picture's worth a thousand words. You just look at this picture and now you're seeing all this perfect family and, and now you're trying to uh, be something that you weren't called to be. Or in other words, what I'm saying is you don't really see how their family really is behind the scenes. And... Um, I'm called to preach. I preach. I'm, a, I'm the pastor of the church. I've not been called to sing. I can't sing. I'm not good at singing. That's why I don't go back there and grab the microphone and start playing the keyboard. That's not my calling. I haven't been called to be a good steward of that purpose because that's not my purpose. And Anna doesn't jump behind the drums and start beating on the drums while Luke goes up to the sound booth and takes over for John. Now John's doing the words on the screen and then Jackie uh, is going down there to take over the nursery because I can tell you she doesn't want to do that because she did it for a lot of years. I know she said, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, you do something for 40 years, that's enough. Amen? But what I'm saying is, that's, I've not been called to do that. And you need not to try to get into doing things that you haven't been called to do. Does that make any sense to you? In other words, um, 
it's not seeking a position. It's not waiting in line till you get a turn. It's just serving the purpose, whatever the purpose is that God's given you. Because your purpose is important. What you've been called to is important. You think, well, I'm not preacher, I'm not singing, I'm just opening the door. Opening the door is, is important. Yes. I'm just cleaning, that is very important. Teaching Sunday school, very important. Uh, doing the, uh, out there where you get your waters and your drinks, that's important, it's all important. That's why Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, I do believe, when he says we're all members of the body. And he says that the foot doesn't say, well, I'm just a foot. I'm not a hand, so am I a member of the body? Or the uh, ear doesn't say, well, I'm just an ear. I'm not an eye, so I'm not a member of the body. In other words, all the pieces and parts of the body are very important. Every one of them. I'm just a hand, or I'm just a finger, and if you cut off the finger, cut off the hand, the body continues to live, and that's what, exactly what should happen. If I'm removed from this position, the body should continue on. But there's lots of people that's in this congregation, that's in the church, or a part of the body that people may not see. A very important part of the body, perhaps the heart, or something internal that you don't see that's a very important part that the body would shut down without you. What Your purpose is important. And it's just, it's important, I want to get across to you, it's important to serve the purpose. And not to look at your purpose and say, well, mine's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. And for promotion, you're going to have to serve your current, uh, your current, uh, what have I been talking about? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> your current position, your, your current purpose. You've got to serve it. Amen? And do it with all your heart. Praise the Lord. So what is my purpose? What is my purpose? How do I even find my purpose? How is God going to find me? Um, let me tell you. When you serve, um, you'll find your purpose. You don't have to look for your purpose. Your purpose will find you. You serve and let God do the promoting. I've got to get myself in a position where they'll see me so I can get promoted. You serve and God will do the promoting. He found David in a sheep pen. He can find you. Yes. So there's a big thing with sports now. You've got to get in front of the scouts. We've got to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, thousands, perhaps go move out of state or go move and do all these things so that we can get our kid in front of this guy because if we don't get him in front of them, he'll never be found. Well, I understand somebody's going to have to see him and see that he can chunk a football or chunk a baseball. We can't just lock him up at the closet at the house. But I think if you serve your purpose, uh, God will do the promoting. God will send the right person at the right time to see you. And if you'll just serve the purpose and let him take care of the promoting instead of taking matters into your own hands and getting a second mortgage on your house so that you can spend money for all these lessons and to get your son in front of a scout. People do these things. People do these things. People second mortgage their homes so that their son can race a motorcycle in hopes to get a factory ride. And... 
If you got it all on the line, if you serve the purpose, uh, God will do the promoting. Amen. If He wants you to be professional uh, at something like that at sports, hey, so that you can use your platform to further the kingdom of God, He'll promote you. He'll make sure you're found. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Praise the Lord. It's, it's quiet again. It's, hope it's not because y'all are sleepy because y'all stayed up so late watching Alabama play last night. I didn't watch it, but I did Google the score. Man, it was a close one. It's a close one. That's, that's the good ones when they're close. And some people probably got tanked up last night. Maybe you're hungover. I don't know. We got coffee out there. If you serve God, God will do the promoting. And here's one thing I know, be for sure, you don't want a promotion that God doesn't give you. Amen. You don't want a wife that God doesn't give you. You don't want a husband that God doesn't give you. I'm working real hard to get this dude's attention. I'm trying so hard to make it work out. You don't want a husband that God doesn't give you. You don't want a job that God doesn't give you. You don't want a promotion that God doesn't give you because when you get that job and you get that promotion, that you know what, something comes with it, and that's responsibility, and you don't want responsibility that God doesn't give you. Amen. Psalms, the 78th chapter, the 70th verse. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. He chose a guy that was out there tending some sheep that smelled like a bunch of old sheep dung, just a little teenage, just a young man, but it says that he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pen. He was out there serving. you got to get a whole... You got to listen to that scripture. His servant. He was out there serving, and he took him from the sheep pen. Praise the Lord. Took him from a sheep pen. That's why I say if you serve your purpose, your purpose will find you. You don't have to go looking for it. Just serve and your purpose will find you. God knows where to find you. You don't have to be like the little kid in class when the teacher asks you a question, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. God will find you. Amen? Praise the Lord. And the promise is important. Not to give up on the promise. Uh, you need to guard your promise. And know this, that the, the, the promise is not automatic. It's not automatic. Now, the, Lord, the word of the Lord is absolutely sure. He's faithful. The, God's word's already been forever settled in heaven. When His word goes forth, it doesn't return void. But it's not automatic. You have to uh, go through the, the process. In other words, it goes from process to promise. You don't skip the process and go straight to the promise. Let's look at some scripture. Malachi, the third chapter, the tenth verse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. In other words, test me. Says the Lord of hosts, only scripture, the entirety of the Bible that says, test me. He says, test me if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to contain. Now people love that scripture and they quote that scripture that God's going to open up the windows of heaven. He's going to pour out blessings on us that we can't even contain. But you've got to read the whole scripture because the process is bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Then he's going to open up the windows of heaven. Then he's going to pour out a blessing that you can contain. It's not a partial tithe. It's not you just do a little bit of the process, but you get the whole promise. It's not a partial tithe, and then you get uh, the whole window of heaven opened up. In other words, it's a process. It's the whole tithe. 
You don't skip it. You don't skip the process and still get all of the promise. I preached a sermon one time called The Welfare Christian, and he was talking about these things. And uh, that you just sit back at the house and they mail you a check. That's not the way it works. There's a process. There's a pro process in Philippians. And my God shall supply all your needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We quote that all the time. That my God shall supply all my needs according to what? His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But you've got to read the whole book of the Bible. He's talking to a church. He's talking to a group of people. And he's saying, hey, guess what? You guys have been very generous. You've been walking around with open hands. And you've not been greedy. And you've not been stingy. And you've been generous. And your hands have been open. Therefore, you're living under an open heaven. That's why God's going to supply all your needs according to His riches and glory because the heaven's open to you because your hands are open. Amen. But say so you can read that scripture and go, I don't have to do anything. I can just be stingy and greedy and not give anybody a thing and God's just going to supply all my needs. Well, you better, you better uh, wake up because it's a process prior to the promise. Amen. I love giving out stuff. I love it. I enjoy it. Because I know. I know where my supply comes from. I give something out every week of my life. Every week. I guarantee you there's not a week goes by that somebody doesn't get something from me. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying God sends people along my path. It might be at a gas station. It's all kind of places. It's right here at church sometimes. But I know that you've got to have an open hand if you want to live under an open heaven. Amen. And I just see it as an investment that is going to return a hundredfold. Don't even hesitate. Boom, here, here let me help you. Why? Because the windows of heaven are going to be opened up and pouring out blessings that we can't contain. There's that preacher. He's talking about them wanting to give some more money. No, I'm not. I never talk to you about money. We don't even pass an offering bucket. There's drop boxes on the back wall. That's between you and the Lord. If you want to live under a heaven that's opened up, pouring out, then that's on you. I don't ever want anybody to give out a guilt or obligation. I want it to be from your heart. And I've had many people come up to me and go, you didn't take up an offering, and I've got some money. Man, that's, that's your heart. I don't need anybody to pass a bucket in front of my face. Amen. Matthew the sixth chapter. Therefore do not do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. As you get a hold of all that, these people are worried, what are we going to eat? What do we drink? We're all worried about this. And he says, what is there to worry about? If you'll just seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all that other stuff, it's going to be added to you. I got you covered. That's a promise. But the process is you've got to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Don't be a welfare Christian. 
Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, and I'm, I'm giving probably too many examples, but I want you to, one more. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let me repeat that. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin. Then I will heal their land. People are like, you know, what's going on right here in 2020? Well, God's got it under control. You know, it's just all up to Him. Sovereign God. He's just going to do what He wants. And, you know, it's just in His hand. No, it's not. He's, the ball is on your court and on my court, on our court. He, the nation, this nation, if my people who are called by my name, which is all of us, we are called, will humble themselves. You're going to have to humble yourself. Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then this is what I'll do. It's a process leading up to the promise. You can't skip the process. I can guarantee you, Alabama didn't walk on the field last night for the first time. They didn't strap their helmet on for the first time this whole year. There's been a process of practicing and running and working out and eating right and running plays and getting everything fine-tuned. And then they go undefeated and they walk on the field and they're the SEC championships. It was a process. It was a process. I haven't been on a dirt bike in a minute. I'm not going to hop on one tomorrow and go out and race and win and then feel real good the next day. It hurts for about three or four days. I know personally. The last time I raced, I couldn't even walk straight till Tuesday. That's because I skipped the process. <laughs> Some of you in here, Kel's one of them. He knows what I'm talking about. You can't skip the process. It'll hurt <laughs> for days. This process is contingent on the process. This promise is contingent on the process, I mean. If you're a note taker, write that down. The promise is contingent on the process. David served. He's out in the sheep, uh, tending the sheep. He served. He also served. His dad says, carry them some food. They're out there at battle. You're not at battle. You just carry them some food. He carried them food. It was a process. He served his father. and He served the, the process. And the enemy will pervert the promise. And the enemy will, uh, will, will pervert it, and now you're expecting the promise without the process. Which is why we just read all those scriptures, and that's exactly what David's men did here. Look at this. The, the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your, your enemies into your hand that you may do to them... Uh, as it seems good to you. Do to them as it you see fit. Do whatever you want to do to them. And it says, David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. That's what, David, that's what David's men are doing right here. You go look in Scripture. Find it and bring it to me where it says that I'm going to deliver the enemies into your hands so you can do with them as you see fit. Because it doesn't say that. 
It doesn't ever say one time that God's going to deliver the enemies into His hands so you can do with your enemy as you see fit. He does say, I'm going to deliver the enemy into your hand. David always inquired of the Lord. In fact, last week we talked about it when they came to David and they said, hey, the Philistines are attacking Kyla. And David said, okay. And so he went and he inquired of the Lord and said, Lord, what would you have me do? Would you like me to go and fight the Philistines? And the Lord said, yes, go and fight them. I'm going to deliver them into your hand. But he inquired of the Lord. Always inquired of the Lord. But you see right here, he's not inquiring of the Lord. His men are going, this is it. This is the, the scripture. God said he's going to deliver the enemies in your hand so you can do with them as you see fit. That's not what God said. That reminds me of Jesus is out in the wilderness and Satan says, hey, you can just jump off this high point down the ground and the angels will save you and you won't even you know, dash your foot on a stone. Now, ain't that what the Scripture says? That is what the Scripture says. But Jesus responded and says, it is written, thou shalt, shalt not tempt or test the Lord thy God. It is written. In other words, there was, a, there was some truth in the Scripture in what Satan said, but there's, there's always a little truth hidden in the lie. So what David's men were saying was the truth. He did deliver the enemy into his hands, but not to do with as you want. There's the lie. There's always a little truth hidden in the lie. And you see how Satan will use other people and use situations to pervert the promise from God. They said, this is it. Kill him now. Do it. Kill him now. And this is partially true. Just like the news you watch. There's a little truth in there. Somewhere. But most of the time it's just a big fat lie. They're wanting to pervert things. And you see Satan working through the news channel uh, every day if you're watching it. The partial truth. The partial truth. Here's the scripture I didn't even realize that I had put this on here. You're the Son of God. Throw yourself down for it's written. He shall give His angels charge over you and their hands shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. This is an unexpected opportunity. David is not expecting this. They're in a cave. Now all of a sudden, uh, Saul is in this cave. Nobody's around him. He's in there. He's called, he's called him with his pants down. What an opportunity. The ball is now in David's court. And his men are saying, go ahead and kill him. Take matters into your own hands. And Satan has this sword, the same sword that he used to kill uh, Goliath with is the same sword that he's toting. We read last week when he talked to the prophet before the prophet told him, before he left his parents in Moab and the prophet told him to get out of there the prophet gave him the same sword he used to kill Goliath with and now the same sword that God gave him the strength, the power, the courage and led him out there to kill this giant is the same sword that he's using to sneak up and cut a little piece of the robe of Saul's a little piece of Saul's robe off he just cuts the corner of the robe. David's never done this before. Everything David does, he does it with his, all his heart and all his might. He's out there protecting this sheep. Wild animals come to attack his sheep. What's he do? Does he run and flee and go, Daddy, Daddy, help. There's a lion, there's a bear. No, he, oh, with all his heart, he goes and protects those sheep and he kills them. With all his heart, he stands before a giant and saves the whole nation of Israel. And now... 
He's cutting a corner. God's not called you to cut a corner. He's called you to serve the process, the whole entire process. Because see, he wants to give David the robe, the king's robe, not a piece of the robe. Praise the Lord, that's good. I don't care who you are. And he has an unexpected opportunity. He goes up there and he cuts the corner of the robe off. And it says afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe off. Heart troubled him. But why? Saul's trying to kill him. I mean, Saul is chasing. He's a crazy man. He's got thousands of men. They're trying to hunt down David and kill him. Don't you think David would be within his rights to kill the man? I mean, he just chunked a spear at him here just in a few scriptures back. He's trying to kill him. He's hunting him down, trying to kill him. Now I've got him right here. Wouldn't I be within my rights to kill him? How many times do people do you wrong and perhaps you're sharing with a close friend or with some co-workers and you're telling them and then they tell you what to do back to them? Oh, he deserves it. He did you wrong. Get him back or do whatever. You know, your husband, he's not treating you right. Leave him. Divorce him. Take the kids. Or she did this. I wouldn't forgive her for that, man. No. Uh-uh. His heart's troubled, but why? I think his heart's troubled because he listened to them. And he snuck up there and cut off the corner of the robe. Even though he didn't kill him, but he cut a corner of the robe off. And later on in Scripture, he, he, held, he holds up and says, Saul, see, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. In other words, I could have taken this, this situation in my own hands if I wanted to. I could have killed you. And he could have. I think about, I read this Scripture, I was thinking about it uh, this, this week and thinking about... Uh, how I can relate to that and thinking about how let's just say I was at a uh, they were watching the ball game at a friend's house and everybody there at the whole uh, uh, gathering were all drinking and they're all, they're all drunk and me being not a pastor but a Christian, someone who needs to set examples for others I said well I'm not going to get drunk I'm just going to cut a corner. I'm just going to drink me one. So when I left Red Alexander, when Red Alexander left the party, I'm going to tell you right now, my heart will be troubled. Yes. I, I'm talking about I would be guilt-stricken. I would feel absolutely miserable. Miserable. And I can tell you I've done these things in other areas like when I needed to give somebody a what for. And I didn't give them the whole what for. I didn't tell them how I really felt. I just told him a little bit of how I felt. And then afterwards, I had this feeling on the inside of me, and I just absolutely feel miserable. And I'll tell you why. Because I cut a corner. Because you can't get on Facebook and fight uh, hate, the very same hate that you despise, and you, but you're going to fight it with more hate and expect there to be a change or a good outcome. Everybody else is, you know, adding to their timesheets. And, you know, everybody else added eight hours, but that's just too much. I'm just going to add one hour. 
And if I did that, I would feel... It's part of the time in my life where it wouldn't have bothered me. That didn't sure bother me now. And if you can do these things and not bother you, I'd say you definitely need to get on your face before the Lord because it needs to bother you. His heart's troubled. Reading, reading the scripture, let's back up. This is important. Let me see if I can find it. I want you to see it. Wow, must be way back. Here it is. He came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. But that's important because he, he came to these sheep pens. Sheep pens. You know where David was called from? The sheep pens. And you have to see David outside is the sheep pens. That's where he's called from. But inside with him is Saul and that's what he's called to. That's what I'm called from and this is what I'm called to. He's called me from a sheep pen. And he's called me to, to royalty. And, um, you know, I, I read that and think about David knowing those sheep pens are outside, and, and, and that's who I used to be. And you called me from that to, to this. And I've honored the process all the way to here. I'm just right here, real, real close to it. So, like, if I ask you right now, where are you from? You're going to say Gardendale, Fultondale, Marsh, Kimberly, Warrior, Coleman, wherever it is that you're from. Is that what you're going to say? Where are you from? Trafford, Bradford, Penson. That's where I'm from. That's where I'm from. I'm from Gardendale. That's really not where you're from. I ain't talking about where you live. I'm talking about where you're from. David was from a sheep pen. That's where God found him, in a sheep pen. He called his servant from the sheep pen. Where did he call you from? A sheep pen? Perhaps a hog trough. That's where he found me. Right there, wallowing in a hog trough. That's where he found me. That's where he called me from. That's where he brought me from. And he's brought me from that. And I'm this close to the promise, but now I want to start cutting the corner. See, you, you, you don't need to forget where you came from. You don't need to forget where God brought you from, how far He's brought you. When I reflect back at where God found me and how far He's brought me, who am I not to want to honor and serve the process? And David is out there, the sheep pins on one side and, and the promise is on the other. He started in a sheep pen and now he's going to the throne. And so we say... You know, where you came from is not as important as where you arrive. But the reality is, there's something that's more important than where you came from, and there's something that's more important than where you arrive, and it's how you get there. It's how you get there. Because you can get money. You can get money, there's nothing wrong with having money. It's pretty fun to have money. I've walked around with money in my wallet and I've walked around with lint in my pocket. I can tell you which one I enjoyed the most. That lint, it just doesn't taste good. Having money isn't bad, but how do you get the money? It's the process in which you get the money. It's the process uh, in which you get it that's important because uh, the money can either serve you or you can end up serving it. 
Because see, it's the process to get the money. I've missed all the ball games and I've missed my kids growing up. But now I'm here and I'm successful and I got this big business, but I spent no time with my children and I, I didn't even get to see them play ball not one time. Or I didn't get to see any of these things because I was too busy trying to get the money. See, there's nothing wrong with the money, but the process in which you attain it is important. So you can't climb a ladder and leave your morals and your standards behind. Because sometimes they're just a little too heavy to carry up the ladder, to climb up the mountain. So we're just going to leave our morals behind and leave our standards behind, and we're just going to cut some corners. So there's nothing wrong with desire because God gives you the desire. There's nothing wrong with having a desire uh, to, to be living in the promise because God gave it to you. But you have to honor the process, and if you honor the process, He'll honor the promise. Amen? Because how you get it, when you go from the pen to the throne, or you go from wherever you came from to wherever God's called you to be, how you get there will determine who you are when you do get there. See, the process will determine who you are when you arrive. Praise the Lord. It'll determine who you are. It'll determine whether you get to keep it when you get there. It'll determine whether you get to walk in it. There's a process. There is a process. When you're dating, there needs to be a process. There needs to be a process when you're dating. Before you get too serious, before you get too involved with a man or with a woman, there needs to be a process. The process is, hey boy, there's certain things I'm not going to do. Because there's a process. I know who I am. I know who God's called me to be. I know what the promise is. And I'm going to stick to the process. I'm not going to cut corners. There's a process. Same way on the other side. Don't be trying to steal somebody else's mind or trying to, to go out of your way to draw some attention to, to get them to, to like you. It's a process. It's a process. They need to like you for who you really are. The real you. And if you're not good enough to wait on, you don't need them. In other words, if a man says, hey, I'll date you, but you're not to perform, they don't love you enough to wait on you, send them packing. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Where are we going? Is that clock right? It says 128. I hadn't preached that long, have I? <laughs> it's important how you get there. It's important how you get there. Um, one thing that I don't like at all, whatsoever at all, now, I know we're not supposed to talk politics at church, but who made that rule up? I voted for Trump, if you want to know. Um, but there are certain things that, that he has done along the way and that basically every president I've ever voted for that I know of has done along the way that I do not like. I don't like the way they get there. I don't like the process. 
Because if God called you to be the president, if He called you to be the president, serve the process. You don't have to go find dirt on everybody else and bring up all their faults and failures and everything that they've done wrong. If God has truly called you to be the president of the United States of America, honor the process and He'll honor the promise. I don't like it when they do that. I don't want to hear everything you've got to say bad about them. I just want to hear what you got to say about you and what you're going to do and why you think you should be the president. It, it just burns me up on both sides. I don't like it. Why do that? I'll tell you why. Because they haven't read this story about David. I'll tell you what, they ain't read a lot of stories in the Bible. That's the problem. <laughs> but we do have a president. He'll tell you what Christmas is for. He'll tell you what Easter is for. I ain't seen that in a minute. In quite a minute. Yes, sir. But that's cutting a corner if you really want to uh, get down to it. I want to see you be nominated. I want to see you be elected. I want to see you be the president, but not like this. Don't do it like this. Dishonor the process. Jesus says, hey, here's the things that are going to happen to me, guys. They're going to come and get me. They're going to arrest me. I'm going to go through all this. They're going to crucify me. But don't worry. They're going to put me in the ground. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. It's all going to be fine. His guys said, no, 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 not like this. Let's don't do it like this. We don't want you to do it like this. When they come to arrest Jesus, what's Peter do? He pulls out his sword. He tries to chop dude's head off. He ducks. He chops his ear off. And Peter said, not like this, Lord. And, God, and Jesus has said, not like that. Peter said, not like this. And Jesus is saying, not like that. Y'all with me? Jesus says, like this. When he has his arms spread, he's nailed to a cross. We're going to do it like this. Not like that, but do it like this. Not cutting corners, not cutting off people's ears. And I think Peter had the right desire. Of course he did. And I think many of you have the right desire and all of us have the right desire, but what you do what you do to get the promise is going to determine if you get to walk in it, it's going to determine whether you get to keep it along the way, the process from the pen to the throne. Amen? Amen. Parenting is the same way. There's a process and as parents cutting corners, you need to take a step back and look at yourself as a parent. You tell your kid, don't be drinking. No, you don't be drinking. Don't be drinking. You can't drink. You shouldn't be drinking. But you're drinking. And they say you're drinking. Well, I know that's because I'm old enough. Well, who determined that age? You're old enough to get drunk now? I don't, I don't ever remember seeing that verse. In other words, that's cutting a corner. Boy, I better not catch you smoking. Don't you be screaming at your mama like that and then you turn around and scream at your wife. And your son sees you screaming at your wife and then you're going to get mad at him for screaming at his mama. But the reason he screams at his mama is because he's seen you screaming at her. He's been watching you scream at her since he was old enough to watch. Since he was two and three and four and five. He's being disrespectful to her. Why would you expect him to respect her? You don't. That's cutting a corner. You better honor the process. Honor the word. 
People get their way by using anger. You're going to control the situation because you're the biggest dude in the room and you're tough and you got a loud voice. So I'm going to get what I want, manipulate people and manipulate the situation with anger. Well, you might get your way, but when you do get your way and you do arrive there, you're going to be by yourself and you're going to be lonely. And people start pouting to get their way. Uh-huh, pouting to get their way. Well, I'll tell you one reason why is because when they're little kids, they pouted. Their parents said, no, you can't have that. And they pouted. Or they fell on the floor and they did a crappie flop, pitched a willy-woo. Okay, we'll give it to you. Now they're adults and they're still throwing the fit. They're still doing the crappie flop. They're still pitching willy-woos to get their way. That's cutting the corner. I can't remember the anyway. We don't have time to get on that, but when they flop when they fall on the floor and they start flopping and crappie flopping and all that, just take off your belt and just start just give them something to <laughs> give them a reason to flop around. Guarantee you they'll they'll see kids are quick, they remember they're smart. We say they're sponges, they are sponges, they're gonna go that hurt. <laughs> and then the next time they throw a crappie flop, they just temper tantrum, you go, hey, you remember the genuine leather? And they're going to be like, I don't want none of that. They're going to get up, no more crappie flopping, no more temper tantrums. It's easy. It's parenting one-on-one, beat them. <laughs> but you got to tell them why you're beating them. I mean, really, you just don't just beat them. So I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but I did it because I love you. <laughs> I love to beat you. But now it's 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 because of scripture. It says to use a rod, save their souls from the pits of hell. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't. I don't want to take a rabbit trail here, but I want to share this real quick. You shouldn't do. You shouldn't uh, discipline your children the way my mom did. It's, it's, you really shouldn't. Uh, she beat me with a tennis racket. She beat me with a crutch. And then she threw a pair of big old steel channel locks at me so hard that when I moved, they went through the wall. Now, I wouldn't suggest doing it like that. But um, anyway. <laughs> and I tell you, the time she beat me, I didn't deserve it. The truth of the matter is I... I should have, she deserved to be beat. Yes, I'll say that as a grown man, looking back behind me, not saying, yeah, I deserved it. No, I didn't deserve it. She was just wild and out of control. But, but the Lord, he's, he's working on her. Okay. <laughs> These people think I'm kidding, but totally not. Never, never, never did I ever do a crappie flop. Uh, I never did. Never did. Now my grandma, she switched me one time. Woo, woo. Boy, and I did deserve it. I was out hitchhiking. I was five. I was on Newcastle Road hitchhiking, and she went over there to Iran to Miss Newby's house, two doors down. She went out there and picked a switch, and she switched my legs. I didn't hitchhike anymore. I didn't, because I remember Granny lit me up. 
And she could have said, no, son, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that and took me home and cooked me a grilled cheese or something, but that's just not getting the point across. With that switch, it got my attention. Okay, moving on. Getting back on track here. Um, these things, anger and pouting and doing all these things is just, you know, you can, you can do things to get your way. Uh, just like David had matters into his own hands, he, he could have done it his way, he could have killed Saul, and that's just it. That's taking matters into your own hands, and when you do that, you're not going to end up with the robe. You're going to end up with just a little piece of the robe. I don't want a piece of the promise. I want the whole entire promise. Amen? Praise the Lord. So God's beginning a good work in you, and um, He'll finish the good work that He started because He's faithful to perform it. Amen? It's God's will, and it's God's way. God's will, and it's God's way. See, we want to do things our way because He's not fast enough or because we don't like the process or because the process is a little painful or a little tough or not fast enough or I want it now and I don't like it. And all y'all know exactly what I'm talking about because you've all experienced these things. But back up to where we started, Psalms 57.2, I cry to the God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose. you got to know He's going to fulfill His purpose, not you. Don't sneak up and cut the corner off the robe. Don't cut the corner off of anything. Don't take matters into your own hand. Serve the purpose. Serve right where you're at. People who are at work, serve the purpose. In your relationship, serve the purpose. We talked last week about being in the cave, David being in the cave, and he came out of the cave. We talked about us coming out of the cave. Let me tell you, if your husband's in the cave, or if your wife's in the cave, or if your son or daughter's in the cave, you can go in there, and you can hog time, and you can bring them out of the cave, but that is not going to work. You've got to just keep being faithful, keep being obedient, keep serving the purpose, and God will bring them out of the cave. And unless they come out of the cave on their terms because their heart has been changed by the Word of God, it's not going to change anything. You can't force your husband or your wife to be the man or woman that you want them to be. You can't even force them to be the man and woman God wants them to be. You just got to keep serving the purpose. Amen. And some people have been trying. You've been trying. You've been trying to... Uh, to, to, to Fulfill the promise, or you've been trying to make it happen, or you've been trying to take matters into your own hands. And I'm here this morning to tell you to let Him do it. Just honor the process. Trust God. He's faithful. You can either be obedient, or you can just uh, manipulate. You can manipulate to get your way. But if you'll just be obedient, He will fulfill. You see, David... They could have said, you're doing the right thing. Right thing. You're doing the right thing, David. But he would have been doing the right thing the wrong way. You understand? It's got to be God's will and God's way. God gives you the promise. And you've got to honor and serve the process. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. And I'll close with this. Who do y'all think in the entirety of the Bible is the greatest example of honoring a process all the way to the promise? Jesus. What a process. <laughs> he lives on earth 
33 years, he goes into ministry. He's wrongfully accused. He's, he is uh, beaten and, and tied to whipping posts and beaten just terribly bad, spit in his face, tore his beard out, crown of thorns on his head. But just everything Jesus went through, everything he went through, he honored the process. And what was the promise? That he was going to come out of the grave and be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That was the promise. But what, what led to the promise? The process. Jesus served and Jesus was obedient through the entire process. Don't you know that he had the power and he had the authority to call down 10,000 angels at any moment and totally wipe out the Roman soldiers, the ones that were beating him, the ones that were crucifying him. And had I been given that power and authority, I probably would have. I would have wiped those suckers out. i tell you what else I would have done. I'd have killed Saul. Right there with his pants down. I'd have killed him. Many of you in this room would have done the same thing. But that's why we have these examples in the Bible to look back at. People like David and people like Jesus to say, we've got to honor the process, not my way, but his way. Amen? Amen. Did y'all get something out of it this morning? Yes. I hope we're leaving better than we came in. Some people are leaving better. You're leaving refreshed. You've got like an hour nap. Wake up. It's time to go home now. <laughs> That's good stuff. Snacks and warm, cozy seat. 70 degrees in here. How was church today? Um, uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty good. Pretty good. What did I talk about? Well, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Honor the process. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray.